Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. Hey, good morning, good morning. You know what's so cool is uh, when you're building a team, and that's part of the philosophy here of ministry for us, like Nick and Lisa are out of town, and you get a stud like Ronnie just stepping up to the plate. He and I do just an incredible job leading worship today. It's so good. I'm like, oh, that way. And, and the kid speaks, a kid, he's 37 years old, but he speaks like six or seven languages. And I've learned that I speak English and redneck, and redneck's not one of the languages he speaks. And so he's very intelligent. How he came out of your gene pool, Ron Malin, I have no clue. Oh, Mama Marianne, his mom and dad are here with us today. But I mean, what an incredible young man he is. And uh, his heart for missions in the Lord is so beautiful. And Amy, I mean, to have Amy at times uh, just on platform with us, even though she's up in the nest and she's on staff with us doing what she does, I'm like, ah, we got such a great team. And uh, I I just love seeing the team flourish and and really work together. So uh, if you're visiting, I'm Tim Cash, lead pastor, and we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, If this is your first time, one of your first few times, as I said, please access our website, thecrossloganville.org. There you'll find uh, a guest card, a connect card, if you will. If you'll click that link, fill it out, we'll send you information. Uh, That will help you big time. Uh, Our Give app is there. A lot of people take advantage of that. If you want to live a generous, faithful life and stewarding God's resources and uh, investing in, in kingdom work, please Let's all rally together and stay faithful in giving unto the Lord. Uh, all of the sermon notes are on the YouVersion Bible app. This is kind of interesting. Uh, some of my friends last week came up to me and said, man, it was kind of hard to follow your notes uh, online uh, with what you were saying today. And I was like, ah, oh, my son Benji was supposed to preach last week. He sent his notes in. We uploaded Benji's notes. Benji called in uh, last minute Thursday. I can't do it. I'm so sick. I've got this bad tonsil. And I forgot to tell Julie to take Benji's notes down. Benji's notes were there. I didn't preach Benji's notes. I preached my notes. And so if you tried to follow last week, it, you would say, ah, oh, that, that was a little crazy. But I promise you my notes are uploaded this week, so it will be a lot easier to follow, right? But I must be honest with you, my style of communication, uh, I'm kind of like a cross-eyed discus thrower at times. I, I don't always know where it's going, but I keep everybody on the edge of their seats, and so I don't always follow my own notes, and that, that would be true as well, okay? So, uh, no, take advantage of that. Any previous sermons, they're all online, and um, it's kind of easy to own wrap and connect with who we are. we got Easter coming up. Uh, we'll do three services here. We'll do a Saturday night, two on Sunday morning. I know you've got fa- uh, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors that you care about, and uh, it's a great time to invite them. We have plenty of cards, invite cards, in the Connect Center. Carol will make a, a statement and an announcement about that at the end of our service. Take, take some of those cards and invite your neighbors and loved ones, okay? Let's, let's, let's do something together. Let's bow. Let's silence our hearts, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to really minister to us right now, okay? So, Father, we we praise you for being such a mighty God. And Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, we bow before you. And every guy and uh, gal that walked into this room this morning, every man and woman, young boy and girl, I, I just pray for you right now. I pray that you would just inhale, exhale, that you would breathe. I pray that you would just say, hey, God, I, uh, I, I need to hear from you. I need help. I need some direction. I, 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 I came here today 
maybe you came to watch a baptism, maybe you came because of a friend, but, but that you would really just get honest and go, hey, while I'm here, I would really like to figure some things out in my own life, and I really need your help. Maybe you're lost and you know it. You're, you've got some bondage and some addictions and things, and you're like, I need help. And just tell the Lord right now, and just ask the Lord to minister and speak to you, and just tell him, hey, my, my heart's open. I really do. I, I want to change, and I want you to do something in me and with me and through me. So, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, and I pray, Lord, I just want to step back and I ask the Holy Spirit to lead this time. I pray that you would silence any Tim thoughts and that the Holy Spirit would really have freedom to speak as we unpackage, Lord, such a cool uh, passage here in Acts 2. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, did you know that one of the greatest fears that man has is the fear of public speaking? I've asked people in the past, like, hey, I would love for you to share a testimony. Oh, I'm, I'm so scared. I, I don't want to get up in front of people. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a mess. I, rem I remember when I was doing all that sports ministry, one of my buddies with the Braves, Walt Weiss, who's now coaching with the Braves. I'll never forget, we were doing this outreach. And I said, hey, Walt, I want you to share your testimony. And he's like, T, dude, I'm on double dribble, man. I'm scared to death. And I'm like, really? And this guy is playing in front of millions like every night. And I said, what about if we do a Q&A? He said, I'm still going to double, double dribble. I'm scared, but uh, I feel more comfortable doing that. I'll, I'll never forget having that conversation. And I looked and I was like, man, most people are afraid of public speaking. Do you know that they say that the fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of dying? I read that and I'm like, that's insane. People are like, dude, I would rather die than have to stand up in front of people and speak. Anybody feel that way? Anybody scared of public speaking? I was. I had all these mind monsters. Man, you're stupid. You're dumb. You, you don't know how to articulate any words and, and you're going to flop and you're going to look like a fool. I had all those mind monsters. And Maybe you would say, Chad, no, you, those were accurate with who you are. But, but still, thanks for stepping into it. But I think a lot of us have the fear of speaking. And then if you factor in the fear or the unknowns of speaking to 5,000 plus in a crowd that's hostile, that would be kind of trippy. And, 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 and then these that you're speaking to are religious people with a lot of self-righteous behavior and then you're speaking in front of 5,000 plus with no PA, no microphone. That would be kind of trippy, right? And you've had no public speaking classes ever in your life. You've never taken a speech class. And to make things worse, the crowd that you're about to speak to seven weeks ago, you made a fool of yourself in front of them around this charcoal fire and they saw you like, the topic you're about to talk about is this dude, Jesus, that he is Messiah and Lord. But 50 days ago, around that charcoal fire, you denounced it and denied it and rejected it and said that you don't know anything about him and you've never been affiliated with him in your life. And because of this raging wind and the falling of this Holy Spirit on these people, all of a sudden these tongues of fire falling, people are looking at you, and you're probably 21, maybe 22, 24 years old, and they're looking at you going, hey, 
what's happening. And they're wanting you to give them an explanation that don't even really make total sense to you. And you've never preached a sermon, and you've never given a public speech in your life, and all of a sudden the Lord has raised you up and, go get them, big boy, your own. That's Acts chapter 2. That's Peter on the day of Pentecost. And because of this strange hurricane wind phenomenon, large crowds have shown up. And when you read Acts chapter 2, verse 12, it says the crowd was amazed and confused and puzzled and said, what does this mean? Yet others were looking going, these cats are drunk. And let me say this to you, and I want you to think about this. You may never speak to a crowd of 5,000 people, but you will have an opportunity today and this week and this month to witness to your family members and your neighbors and your co-workers. And if, if we take anything from this first sermon Peter ever preaches at Pentecost, we take that, be ready and trust the Holy Spirit. Bam. I don't ever see myself standing in front of that many people. It doesn't matter. The takeaway for you, Sandra, Rachel, me, Carrie, be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Trust the Holy Spirit. God has got these people's attention, and Peter has their ear. God's got their attention. What does this mean? Three things. Peter is going to talk about and give an explanation of the Holy Spirit in verses 14 through 21. What's happening? He, he's like, I, I'm going to talk about that. And then verses 22 through 36, Peter is going to proclaim the lordship and sovereignty that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he's going to make an immediate call for people to repent and get right with God. That, if you had to outline it, like they do when it's like, all right, if you're going to go out and speak, you need three points to your message. Peter didn't have them. No PowerPoint, no notes, no, no scroll. It's just him and the Lord full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just fell, and he's on. And, 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 I, and I promise you, if you took speaking classes, they would tell you, hey, it's always good to welcome people. It's always good to make a few connections with people. It's always cool if you can start with a good story and a good punch. And if you're going to start, that's a great way to do it in public speaking. Not this redneck fisherman who's been a follower of Jesus for the last three years. He stands up and goes, y'all listen, we ain't drunk. That's how he starts his message. Steve, if, if you went to sermon prep school, I guarantee you they wouldn't say, hey, that's a good way to start it. Just start out by saying, y'all think I'm crazy? Y'all think I'm drunk? Nah, that's not it. That's how he starts his message. Don't you see it? He dismisses like the chaos and 
he stops and he looks and he's like, he's about to unpackage, really, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's where he's going. Peter, years later, maybe 40 years later, when God uses him to write what we have is first and second Peter. Listen to what he says here in second Peter chapter three. Peter wrote that in the last days, mockers will come. Peter goes, hey, ever since I started following Jesus and he called me off the pier down there fishing, I've seen mockers and haters. Oh, I've seen so many of them. He writes and he goes, mockers are going to come. Haters are going to come. They're going to follow their own lust and they're going to be saying, where is the, the Messiah? Where is he who is coming? Where is that Jesus? They're going to say that. Hey, 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 Peter makes that statement. Let me tell you something. If you ever totally yield and surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you're going to have haters and mockers and people that ridicule you and rip you and laugh at you and, 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 and put you down. Just expect it. And, and, and I wish somebody would have told me that when I first started following the Lord because I thought they were going to be impressed. Oh, that guy right there, man. He was out raising hell, drinking like a guppy with us last year, and now even his language is cleaned up, and he's just over there sipping water. What, what happened to you? It didn't go that way. I got ripped and shredded and mocked. And he said, the last days, and the last days, I wish somebody would have told me this years ago because I used to read like in 2 Peter and Timothy and these other places about the last days. I'm like, what is the last days? And it really is... From the time of Jesus' resurrection until he comes again, in the last days, it's been about 2,000 years. So, so when he talks about the last days, that's the gap we're talking about. Now, Acts chapter 2. Peter goes, hey, guys, what you see was predicted, was prophesied long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, and young men will see vision, and old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they're going to prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And listen to this phrase he captures right here. And Paul even captures it in Romans chapter 10. He goes, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved right out of the gate. He goes, uh, y'all want to know what's up? Uh, uh, it was prophesied that this would happen. When was it prophesied? Well, Joel wrote this over 800 years ago that this day was going to happen, and people thought he was nuts when he wrote what he wrote. You see, what you're seeing and what you're hearing, it was written about 800 years ago. It was prophesied about Stay, stay with me on this one. Stay with me on this one. Jesus fulfilled over 800 prophecies. If you are dealing with an agnostic, atheist, a hater of God kind of thing, and you start talking about the fulfillment of prophecies of Jesus, it is one of the greatest tools of apologetics of defending the gospel that you can use with a hater and a mocker. Jesus, Jesus fulfilled over 300 
prophecies. And prophecy being fulfilled is such a big deal. Let, let, me, let, me, let me share this with you. There is a school called the Science of Probability. And what the science of probability tries to do is to determine the chance that a given event will occur. So a team of uh, professors and scholars and students uh, calculated the probability of one man fulfilling these these prophecies like Jesus did that, 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 that would point toward Messiah. They estimated, listen to this, that the chance of one man fulfilling even eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power of a chance, which means that is one with 17 zeros behind it. I I don't know how to go too far past millions and billions, trillions. I I get lost. So whatever the gazillion name would be with that would be like, wow, one, one with all those zeros. So that's 10 running to the 17th power the chance of fulfilling eight. Jesus fulfilled three, over 300, okay? So if we took a deck of playing cards and I took 10 cards out and I put an X on one of the cards, shuffled them up, laid them on the table, and I said, Chad, here, I got these 10 cards. I want you to come and pick a card. The chance that you would have of picking the card with the X on it would be one out of 10. We're talking about one out of whatever that number would be. So here's what they said. If you were to take a silver dollar and put an X on it and then 10 to the 17th power, if you would take silver dollars and lay them across the state of Texas, 10 to the 17th power means that the state of Texas would be flooded with silver dollars two feet deep. You would take that one silver dollar with an X on it, bury it somewhere in the midst of Texas, blindfold a dude, and say, now go out there and find that one silver dollar. What these scholars and the science of probability concluded, the same chance that the prophets would have of writing just eight prophecies that came true would be the same as a blindfolded man finding that one silver dollar. You see, when we read that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, it is a big deal. When people are forecasting seven, eight, nine hundred years before, like Micah would write, he, he will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah would write in Isaiah 53, like a lamb led before the shears, he opened not his mouth. He, he was despised and brutally beaten. Joel is prophesying 800 years before, the the Messiah said, this person Messiah said, the Holy Spirit was coming. Big deal. Hey, Peter, where'd you get that brilliance from? What kind of three-by-five card did you have to start this one off? I'm starting with the obvious. They just want to know, what is this all about? They're trying to say we're drunk. I'm letting them know that it's the Holy Spirit and God said he was going to send it. And today we're the recipients of something God said 800 years ago. And Peter emphasizes two things as he quotes Joel chapter 2. He emphasizes that Jesus Christ is Messiah. He is the anointed one sent by God, and he emphasizes that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people because he says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Who's he speaking to? A bunch of religious haters that 50 days ago stood there and said, crucify him, kill him. Yes. No, let Barabbas go free. Kill him. Who's his audience? The people that killed Messiah. Y'all are drunk. No, we're not. This is prophecy. And he emphasizes three things. God said he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. He's going to pour his spirit out on men, not just rabbis and teachers. He's going to pour his spirit out on just common men, women who had no dignity at that time, children that were an inconvenience in that society, Servants and slaves that were looked down on. Joel said when this day happens, the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level. God's going to equalize this thing once and for all. And it's going to be for Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles and males and females and slaves and free. And God's going to pour out his spirit and make the gospel available to all. He's going to do that. And today's the day. Not just men, not just older men, not just women, it's children. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, By one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, and slaves, and free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. He said, I, he said that was going to happen. Let me tell you something else is going to happen. God's going to pour out judgment on Jerusalem and his people. You, you see... Y'all, y'all rejected him, and y'all despised him. And even Peter on the day of Pentecost is saying, God's about to pour out judgment because of what you did. And in A.D. 70, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The Romans came in. It was destroyed. It, it became just rubble. It, it was bad. It was 9-11. It was just destroyed. And even the gold inside the temple melted and just it was, it was bad. And he goes, God's going to send judgment for rejecting and treating his son the way you did. And that happened, and it's continued to happen at times where there's been destruction. But then he says, uh, but whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord can be saved. You've you got to realize there's hope that, that I'm about to proclaim to you today. God's mercy is available. Even though you killed him, even though you said crucify him, even though you dogged him, it's available. Stop and ask yourself this question. Truly, are you born again? Have you truly been saved? I'm not talking about did you pray a prayer and walk an aisle. Is there radical life change difference in you? I, I, I'm, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about, well, I used to be like totally bad and now I don't drink anymore. I'm talking about, I was lost, the Holy Spirit has filled me, and now I've become a, a warrior for the kingdom. Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you truly redeemed? And he says, when God's Spirit comes, that's going to happen. The second thing he emphasizes here is that God authenticated and endorsed Jesus is Christ and Lord. The word Christ means he is the anointed one sent from God. Lord means he is master and ruler and authority. And he goes, God endorsed him and authenticated. That right there is Messiah Jesus. And, and you go, how did he do it? Peter goes, 
And he, in, he endorsed him and authenticated him in three ways. Listen to this. He said, look at his life and miracles. Even the Jesus haters could not dismiss the miracles that he had done. The raising of Lazarus, the turning water into wine, the spitting on dirt and rubbing it in a blind man's eyes. There's so many things. And even the haters said, that happened. Even Nicodemus that was steeped in religion, he even looked at Jesus in that John 3 dialogue, and he said, no one can do the signs and miracles that you do unless God's with him, which really implies nobody can do what you do unless God's in him and really unless you're God. He goes, God authenticated and endorsed Jesus as Messiah. Look at his miracles. And then he says, Look at his death. Verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men. You put him to death. Jesus was not killed because he was a victim of his enemies. Jesus was not killed because of the hate of his haters. Jesus died a martyr's death twofold because of his radical love for God to be obedient to the Father and because of his love for you. He didn't die because the enemies hated him. He died because he loved the Father and he loved you. And, and, and Peter's like, y'all realize it was God's predetermined plan. Isaiah, again, 53, said that he would be despised and rejected God had asked his son to lay aside deistic privileges and take on a human robe of flesh and become a servant, even to become obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Read Philippians 2. God asked him to do that. Jesus willfully said, I'll do it. But you people killed him. You people wanted him dead. Those Roman soldiers brutalized him. Y'all mocked him. Y'all spit on him. Y'all cursed him. Y'all jeered him. Y'all did it. God had sent his Messiah, Savior, the promised one for Israel, and you killed him. You would say then, because it was God's predetermined plan, does that excuse the behavior of the Roman soldiers and the people that wanted him dead? No, it doesn't. No. God was sovereign in what he was doing. God was faithful in what he was doing. But we are responsible for the choices and decisions that we make. God knew what was going to happen to his son. The prophecies made of what his son would be like, he goes, I, he knew. You nailed him to the cross. He goes, you want to talk about a way that we know that God authenticated and endorsed him? Look at his life and miracles. Look at his death. Now, don't miss this. He spends one verse talking about his life and miracles. He spends one verse talking about his death. He spends nine verses talking about the resurrection. Because what was going to be on trial going forward was, did Jesus really defeat death, hell, and the grave? Is there hope beyond this life? He goes, you put him to death, but God raised him up. And he quotes from Psalm chapter 16. 
And in Psalm 16, David makes a prediction about resurrection. And many of the people believe that when David made this statement, he was talking about himself. But he wasn't. Because David goes on to say that God will not abandon his soul to Hades or allow his Holy One to suffer decay. What happened? David died. David was buried in Jerusalem. What happened to David's flesh? His flesh would suffer decay. What was David saying in Psalm 16? David was looking ahead at the Messiah that would come, that God would allow one to sit on the throne of David that would reign and rule forever, that his kingdom would have no end, and that he would defeat death, hell, and the grave. And he goes, David quoted and talked about 700 years ago that the Holy One would be raised from the dead. He goes, and I can tell you, he says in verse 32, God raised him up and we're witnesses of it. He goes, you want to talk about uh, endorsing somebody? Look at his life. Look at his miracles. Look at his death. Look at his resurrection. I can promise you he's Lord and he's Christ. And Peter finishes in verse 36, by making this statement, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. It gets you to the third point of what Peter emphasizes, and it's this. The people looked and said, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Whether he had preached 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, ever how long he had preached, they started by saying, bunch of losers are drunk early in the morning. Losers! We're not drunk. 20, 30, 40 minutes later, Peter lays it out. They're pierced to the heart and they're cut to the heart, which means that they're grieving over their own personal anguish for their participation in having Jesus killed. And they're like, what do we do now? Since, since, since we were a part of that mob saying, kill him. I mean, we're destined for hell ourselves, right? I mean, we're dirt. We're toast. We're, we're, we're through. I mean, what are we supposed to do? We're pierced to the heart. We're grieving the Messiah. We participated in killing him. What are we supposed to do? Peter's going to get there. I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do. You know why they asked that question? Stay with, stay with me. You know why they asked that question? Because the Holy Spirit had stabbed them in their heart and convicted them of sin. Do you know when the game changed for me? It's when the Holy Spirit stabbed me in my heart and convicted me of sin. When I saw myself as vile and wicked and sinful before God, that's when the game changed. And do you realize that we're living in a culture today where the conviction of sin is often missing in the preaching of the gospel? Where you're made almost to, just to feel good? Can I tell you something? I see so many ministries and even proclamators today it's like you're trying to heal people that don't even realize they're sick. How do you become well? You've got to realize you're sick. You've got to realize you're a sinner. In God's word, when you start to meditate and study it, it is a light that God turns on to say, you're wicked, you're vile, you're sick, you're a sinner. 
Spencer, that's when it changed for me. Driving down the road, I remember so many times just going, okay. If you let me get home tonight without having a freaking wreck and killing myself or getting a DUI, I promise you, God, I ain't going to ever drink again in my life. Slide in the driveway, crawl in the bed. Man, I got to go to sleep. Next morning, Groundhog Day. Bam. Back out, getting hammered, drinking it, chasing it. If you just let me get home tonight without having a wreck and killing myself and without getting DUI, I promise you this is it. Next morning, Groundhog Day. About last night for me, traveling down 85, leaving that bar, just being freaking hammered. My last, about 12-pack and slamming the Budweiser can on the ground. And I'm like, I am lost. I'm so confused. My life is a mess. Oh, God, I'm screwed up, and I don't know what to do. I hated cigarettes. When I drink like a guppy, I smoke like a chimney. Why? I didn't even know. Throwing Marlboro out the window. Praise God, there were only 65 cent a pack back then. But I'm like, <laughs> but I remember my buddy Jeff had begged me and begged me, Tim, go to church with me. Jeff had gotten saved that summer. He'd been saved for about four months. I'm like, that thing is different. And I go to church that next morning. I go in there and I'm just like sitting down. I'm like, whoo. I need a few Advil. I'm just sitting there. The choir is singing. Remember the old Baptist choirs? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I'm sitting there going, the Lord is not my light. I'm in darkness. He is not my salvation. I'm in bondage. I fear everything. Lord, I'm screwed up. I'm messed up. Remember the old Baptist altar calls? Praise God for the opportunity, man, for people to say, hey, get your life right. Come on down. We do that every Sunday here. That old pastor gave that invitation. I walked up front. That's when that dude, Walter, my buddy, met me. He goes, what's wrong? And I said, I am screwed up. I'm a sinner. I'm vile. I'm lost. I don't even know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Oh, we applaud you. Man, you're playing with the Astros, and you're a professional player. And, oh, man, we're so proud of you. Proud of me? I'm a mess. You're looking at this exterior stuff that's applauded by man but not by God. Walter, I'm lost. I don't even know what to do. I didn't even know Walt. He quotes First John one night. Tim, Tim, Tim. If we confess our sins, I got plenty of them, Walt. If we confess them. Confess it, dude. I started confessing. God is faithful and just to forgive you. Do you believe he'll forgive you? Yes, he'll cleanse you. I want to be clean of all unrighteousness. That dude prayed over me. I wept. He prayed over me. I wept. I wept. I wept. Why did you weep? Because of the conviction of sin. I'm lost and I've got to get saved. I don't want to flirt with sin. Spurgeon said, that great preacher of old, 
He said, if you believe in God, your belief will kill your sinning or your sinning will kill your belief. You will always know whether you are delivered from the guilt of sin by answering this. Am I delivered from the love of sin? And that day when I got up, I knew in my heart that I was delivered from the love of wanting to sin. You remember the old hymnals and the old hymn book songs that they would sing way back? I remember sitting there and hearing this song for the first time that heaven came down and glory filled my soul. My sins were washed away. That's the way I felt that day. I was like, hallelujah! And guess what? It was a Sunday Monday, hey, Cash, we're going to Jimbo's Pub, man. I got 50-cent pictures tonight. Let's go. I'm not going. Dad, come on. No, man, I got saved yesterday. I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to. Really? I don't want to. You don't want to drink? I don't want to. I woke up too many times miserable. I went to bed too many times miserable. For the first time in my life, I woke up with this peace inside of me. Michael, I had peace. And the conviction of sin leads to deliverance. And there's been so many people over the years that have walked aisles, prayed prayers. You never hated sin, did you? You never severed sin, did you? Tolerated sin, didn't you? You pacified sin, didn't you? Yes. Yes. I I, I did that until that October of 1985 morning. I played that Let's Make a Deal with God. Mm. Didn't hate sin. Started hating it. Listen to what Peter says. Pierced to the heart, cut to the heart, anguish, godly sorrow. Peter replied, Y'all want to know what to do? Here it is. Each one of you, each one of y'all, salvation is a personal decision. It's not a group plan. Hey, Cash. Yes, you follow me. I didn't ask you if Jeff, your buddy, started following me or Big Earl, your dad, started following me. I said, you come and follow me. I didn't say follow Chad, who's following Steve, who's following Dustin, who's following me. Go over there, and, and, and I said, you, 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 Jimmy, you come follow me, each, each of you, e- each of you. It's not a family plan. It's, a, it's an individual repentance. And each of you, listen to this, Joe, you must repent of your sins. You must repent. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Then, then, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises to you, your children, those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord. I love this part right here. I just looked at my watch. It's 12 o'clock. Listen to this statement right here. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. 
like hallelujah. Strongly urging all the listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. When Peter realized it was noon and the people were trying to make their way to Huey's, he cut his message off. So I guess I got permission to preach for a long time. Peter said, repent, 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 repent. You cannot have saving faith without repentance. And please hear me if you're going, okay, help me with repentance. Here's what I would tell you, and hear me. Repentance in its purest sense, I've heard people say, well, it's a 180. To me, it's more than just a 180. Repentance is changing your source. So you go, I've been plugged in to drinking. I've been plugged into approval. I've been plugged into whatever, my work, my money. Chad, this is so crucial. When I repent, I'm unplugging from everything, and I'm plugging in to Jesus only. When you say repent, well, I'm going to turn. I'm glad you're turning, but what are you plugging into, pressing into, leaning into? He goes, you've got to repent of your sin. You've got to repent. And, 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 and every person I know that has truly repented, it means that their life has been changed. It doesn't mean that for a short period of time, they had a little remorse or regret or guilt. You see, see, all of us in here have jacked it up and screwed it up. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. You're listening to a chief of sinners, a person that royally jacked it up. What happened to you? I, I jacked it up. I tried to do it on my own. I tried to get my needs met apart from Christ. Repent was, I just didn't feel bad about it. I had to unplug from it, sever it. Everybody, everybody understand repentance? Be baptized. When Peter said be baptized in that culture of that day, don't, don't miss this. Seeing you beautiful girls get baptized today, I'm like, yes. Let me tell you what it means, and I want you to take this to heart, Okay. I want you to take this to heart. When Peter said, repent and be baptized, it is a radical break from anything that you're trying to find identity and worth and value in. Be baptized, sever, and total identification. So when Kara was speaking over y'all, I want to totally identify with Christ. I said, that's it. Because salvation that is birthed out of repentance, out of true faith, is going to lead to a break with the world. I don't, I don't want the world. I, I, I tried to let the world satisfy me. But modern evangelism today tries to make becoming a Christian as easy as possible. And it's like we're just going to add Jesus to it. And so many are dodging talking about sin, dodging talking about repentance, dodging talking about discipleship. And Peter goes, Y'all want to know what to do? Now, now, now follow this. These are religious people steeped in religion, grown up, Ronnie, around all this religious culture. Many of them, many of them have hung out in Jerusalem for 40, 50 years, and this wild-eyed 22, 23-year-old redneck fisherman dude who's been hanging out with Jesus, now filled with the Holy Spirit, has got the stinking guts to go repent. That's what you do. 
This is the same dude that seven weeks ago and 50 days ago made a fool out of himself. He was the biggest jack in town. And now, hey, you're on, bro. I'm on? Yes. You're on. Tell him to repent. Tell him to be baptized. And he preaches one of the most powerful sermons ever preached. 3,000 people got saved that day. God got their attention. Peter got their ear. The Holy Spirit got his mouth. And the Holy Spirit convicted their hearts. That could happen in Loganville. If people would violently repent and turn from their sin and submit to the Lordship of Christ, this group right here could change Loganville, could change Walton County, could change eventually the state of Georgia. The next election is not going to change the state of Georgia. The next election is not going to change the United States of America. It's going to be the church of Christ who are alive, filled with the Holy Spirit, who have repented of sin, that are taking the gospel to their workplace, to their families, and they're living it out. I want to be a part of that movement. Do you? Jesus is Lord he is Christ. I'm not asking you today if you prayed a prayer some 20 years ago, if you felt guilty that you were going to go to hell. I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you if you walked an aisle. I'm praying for you young girls that got baptized today, that you put your feet and, 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 and your faith all in and saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm all in. That, that the culture can't define you and, and chaos around you can't. That you go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard. You're going to get mocked at. You're going to get ripped. But we, we're going to walk with you. I'll take bullets for you. But I'm asking you have, you, have you violently repented, severed from sin? It's like, I'm, I'm getting baptized. I'm making this statement. Have you done that? That water is still warm enough for you to get in it today with your clothes on to say, I'm getting baptized today. You got some clean drawers at home, you know where they're at. I just moved. I got about five pairs. I know where they're at. I'm going to find the rest of them here in the next weeks. But you can find a towel when you leave here. If you're serious, repent, surrender. We'll have a team here that will pray with you, Chad. Our elders, some of our people will go, we'll pray with you to surrender. And you go, I I I've got to be baptized and we'll baptize you today. Okay? Well, I wasn't planning on it. Who cares? Take the step. Let's get it right.